A scripture reading this morning is from the book of Acts, chapter 10, verses 9 to 16, 19 to 28, and 44 to 48. About noon the next day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up to the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat, and while it was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw the heaven opened and something like a large sheet coming down, being lowered to the ground by its four corners. In in it were all kinds of four-footed creatures and reptiles and birds of the air. Then he heard a voice saying, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, By no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is profane or unclean. The voice said to him again a second time, What God has made clean, you must not call profane. This happened three times, and the thing was suddenly taken up to heaven. While Peter was still thinking about the vision, the Spirit said to him, Look, three men are searching for you. Now get up, go down, and go with them without hesitation, for I have sent them. So Peter went down to the men and said, I am the one you are looking for. What is the reason for your coming? They answered, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright and God-fearing man who is well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation, was directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house and to hear what you have to say. So Peter invited them in and gave them lodging. The next day he got up and went with them, and some of the believers from Joppa accompanied him. The following day they came to Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. On Peter's arrival, Cornelius met him and, falling at his feet, worshipped him. But Peter made him get up, saying, Stand up, I am only a mortal. And as he talked with him, he went in and found that many had assembled. And he said to them, You yourselves know that it is unlawful for a Jew to associate with or to visit a Gentile. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone profane or unclean. While Peter was still speaking, the Holy Spirit fell upon all who heard the word. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astounded that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles, for they heard them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter said, Can anyone withhold the water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? So he ordered them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. They invited him in to stay for several days. This is the word of God for the people of God. Let us pray. Dear Lord, put us in the sandals of Peter and help us to imagine what it was like for him that day when he received that vision, that dream, that eventually led him to Cornelius. Help us to understand perhaps the struggle that may have occurred inside of his heart, but also that draw that you that you gave to him. Lord, give us your vision for us as well. Speak to us, Lord. Your servants are listening. Amen. You know, when, uh, when God sent... Peter to Joppa, where he where he had this dream. 
it, it must have been difficult for him. It, it, it must have been a, a very uh, unusual experience for him because you see, Peter, Peter grew up in Galilee, up in the, uh, in the northern part of what we know of today as the Holy Land. He was a fisherman around a lake, or on a lake, uh, the Sea of Galilee. And we call it a sea, and it's a pretty big lake, but nonetheless, it's a freshwater lake. And, uh, you know, he probably fished in small boats with his friends. Coming to Joppa, Joppa was, well, Joppa is about 35 miles uh, northwest of Jerusalem on the coast. At the time, it was the chief, the most important uh, harbor uh, in Judea, in the in the uh, southern part of the kingdom. And, um, you know, he, he had come from a small fishing village, Capernaum, and now he's in Joppa, this place that even today is one of the most uh, ancient of active harbors in the entire world. Back then, it was a, it was a, it was a Roman city, but the, the people who really dominated this city of Joppa were the Phoenicians. They were the, uh, the kind of the renowned seafarers of their day. And so it was a very cosmopolitan kind of place because there, a lot of merchants would come and go from that place. And so they probably spoke a lot of different languages and uh, a lot of uh, money was, uh, you know, changing hands. It's, it's from that port of Joppa that uh, Jonah, in the, in the rabbi's story of the prophet Jonah being sent to Nineveh, well, it's from that port that he, he got onto a ship to go in the opposite direction to Tarshish. Joppa is, uh, uh, is also the place where the cedars of Lebanon came ashore and were eventually transported to Jerusalem and became part of Solomon's temple. So Joppa was an important place, and it was also a place that was probably very unusual for Peter. Peter was like a country bumpkin come to the city. And only 30 miles north was Caesarea, or perhaps uh, more appropriate called Caesarea because it was named after Caesar by King Herod the Great. And Caesarea was the uh, administrative center of the Judean province of the Roman Empire. So it too was very much a Roman city, very different from the kind of place where uh, Peter grew up, the Jewish village of Capernaum. Caesarea was built, as I said, by uh, King Herod the Great. Well, I said it was named uh, by King Herod the Great, but really he had a lot to do with its establishment. It too was a port city. And King Herod saw that Roman baths were built there, uh, Roman temples to pagan gods, they were built in Caesarea. They built an arena there. Every five years, the city hosted Roman sporting events and gladiator games and theatrical performances in the arena. Again, very different for Peter to find himself in either of these cities, Joppa or Caesarea. Peter must have felt overwhelmed by well, kind of a, a sensory overload of all the, all the stuff that was coming at him. When he went up on that rooftop of his friend's home, the home of Simon the Tanner, uh, the scriptures tell us he was, he was, uh, 
He was hungry, and he went up there to wait until a meal was prepared. But I wonder, I wonder part of his going up on the rooftop was to kind of, you know, get away from from all of the the pagan, cosmopolitan culture that was surrounding him. I wonder if there was just a little bit, I, I got to get, get by myself. I've, I've got I've to escape from all of this uh, hubbub that's surrounding me. A Jewish fisherman surrounded by pagan influences everywhere he looked. And I dare say when he got up on the roof and he looked out across the land, he probably just said, I'm seeing it here too. So he closed his eyes and he fell asleep. That's when he had his dream. He couldn't escape. God had other plans for him. In his dream, he dreamed of a sheet coming down from heaven. And it was filled with all kinds of what he considered to be unclean animals. And then there was this voice in his dream coming from heaven, calling him by name. Get up, get up, Peter, kill and eat. You can, his response is, would be normal for, for a Jewish fisherman. He says, no way, no, I'm not, I'm not going to eat that stuff. It's unclean. I'm, I'm not supposed to eat that. You see, he had been taught since a young child what was proper and what was improper. The law was clear to him. He had heard Leviticus and Deuteronomy read from, from the pulpit in the synagogue in Capernaum. He had been taught uh, so many of the laws that had even been established since the Torah had been established. He knew that he was not supposed to eat pork, no shellfish, no... Now this one, I don't, I don't even want... No insects, you know. No mammals with cloven hooves or animals that uh, would eat their cud. Do you know what cud is? You know, I, growing up as a child, uh, you know, I can remember being told by grandparents and others whenever I got some bubble gum, you know, you look like you're chewing cud, you know. You look like a cow chewing her cud. Well, well cud is it's a kind of a two-step process for mammals that... Uh, and eat grass and greenery, they, they, they ingest it, and there's a certain amount of uh, digestion that goes on, and then they regurgitate it, and then they eat it again. <laughs> That's their cud. They're, oh, my goodness, if I had only known what that meant, it, that, it didn't bother me so as a child, but now I know. So now I think, how could they be so mean? <laughs> well, you see, Peter was... Jewish, and he understood that the Jewish people had been set apart by God to be a holy people, a righteous people. And so how one ate, how one acted, how one treated their neighbor, all of that was part of modeling for the rest of the world how one is to be. And so for Peter, it was ingrained in him. He was not supposed to eat this food. It was unhealthy. It was, it was wrong. It was vile. That's why you can, you can read in the book of Deuteronomy. Right now you can take your Bible and you can read in the book of Deuteronomy how to build a latrine. Did you know that? So if you go camping sometime and, you, and there's no Don's John's out there or a Holiday Inn and, and you've left your uh, toilet paper behind, well, just take your Bible with you. 
In Deuteronomy, it'll tell you how to build a latrine. Deuteronomy will also tell you how to deal with sick people and, you know, how sickness is to be kind of confined and to protect the rest of the community. Of the Ten Commandments, six of them have to do with how we relate to one another as human beings. You see, and that's all a part of what Peter would have been feeling at that time, that that this was, this was very important to him. It was not secondary. It was not, you know, just a sideline to his faith. It was part and parcel of who he was as a child of God. No, he wasn't going to eat those unclean animals. No way. And then the voice says, we read in verse 15, what God has made clean, you must not call profane. What God has made clean, you must not call profane. And that's when the knock came at the door downstairs. There were three men who had come. They were servants of Cornelius, the Roman centurion, who was in Caesarea. They had come to tell Peter that Cornelius had had a dream, and in his dream, he was told, to call for Peter to come to his home. And so Cornelius had sent his servants to, to call on Peter. They were Gentiles. They were, they were pagans. They, they, were, they were part of Cornelius's world. If Peter had not had the vision that he had on top of that roof, I dare say he would have simply closed the door to these who had come. But Peter had a second thought precisely because of his dream. And so he decided to go. He was a Jew. Cornelius was a Gentile, a Roman, a pagan, a soldier. He was in charge of a hundred warriors, some of whom had probably killed some of the very people of Peter's faith. He had every good reason not to want to go, but he went. Peter's vision on the rooftop made all the difference, you see. God was preparing him for Cornelius. So Peter invited the friends in, and the next day they left for Caesarea. And you, re- you know the rest of the story. He arrives at Cornelius' house Cornelius actually falls to the ground to worship him because he feels like God has, has sent this man. And, and Peter has to say, no, I'm just a mortal. I'm just a human being. Please stand up. But what he finds, what Peter finds, is that Cornelius has invited his whole family and many of his close friends. And all of them that day are converted and they become followers of Jesus. God's vision, you see, is that We love all God's children. That means everyone. Peter could have written down before his dream every good reason to stay out of the home of Cornelius. And he would have had good, religious, righteous reasons to avoid Cornelius. But because of God's vision, he did something else. And the truth of the matter is that God has given us examples like this over and over and over again in the Bible. 
Remember Ruth? Ruth was a Moabite. Ruth was a, 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 a foreigner. And yet she became the great-grandmother of David, perhaps the greatest of the kings of Israel. Jonah, when he goes to Joppa to get on that boat to go to Tarshish, running in the opposite direction of where God wanted him to go, the real purpose of his trip was to go to Nineveh. That's where God wanted Jonah to go. And Nineveh was the capital of the enemy state of Israel. No one could have been more hated by the Jews of Jonah's day than the Ninevites. And that is precisely where God was sending him. When Jesus called Matthew to be one of his disciples, he was calling on a tax collector, a a betrayer of the Jewish faith, a, a person who was working for Caesar to collect money from his own neighbors to send to Rome. No one could have been more hated by the Jews than tax collectors of Jesus' day. And yet Jesus calls a tax collector to be one of his disciples. And when Jesus goes to Jericho, who does, whose home does he stay in but that of Zac, uh, Zacchaeus, who is the chief tax collector in Jericho. And when he goes to Jacob's well, He finds a Samaritan woman there who has to come at the well in the middle of the day precisely because she has been ostracized by her her neighbors. Someone who is considered a sinner. She's had five husbands and the man she's with now is not her husband. All good reasons to keep your distance from this woman. But yet Jesus sits at the well with her and offers her living water. And who does he heal from leprosy? None other than ten Samaritans, also hated enemies of the Jews. And who does he pardon? But a woman caught in adultery. A woman who by the Jewish faith of their time deserved death. But Jesus stood between her and her accusers. Don't you see the Bible is telling us over and over and over again that we are called upon to love those who are not like ourselves. God's vision is the kingdom of God. And that kingdom is where everyone lives in a world of forgiveness and love and justice and mercy. So my question to you today is, who do you consider to be unclean? Who is your Cornelius? Can you put a face on your Cornelius? Can you, put a, can you put a name or can you put a description on that person that you have every good reason as Peter would have had to consider to be something other than respectful? Is your Cornelius a Democrat or a Republican? Is your Cornelius Trump or Clinton? Can you put a face, a name? Is your Cornelius a conservative or a liberal? A Muslim or a Buddhist? Or an atheist? Or a Jew? Or a Gentile or a Christian? On this All Saints Sunday, we're called to remember the saints of the faith. In the New Testament, that that means anyone who is a follower of Jesus 
over the centuries, the, the word saint has kind of taken on a lot of different different interpretations. Some see saints as only those who have been canonized and they're saints with a capital S, those who have died, those who have performed miracles and go through a process in which they are selected and they're, they're very special, different from everyone else. But saints with a little S in the New Testament is anyone, anyone who has decided to follow Christ. And that's why the Apostle Paul in his letters talks about the saints that he is to visit as he goes about the known world with the gospel of Christ. But I'd like to suggest that maybe, just maybe, saints are all of God's children, that everyone is set apart. Everyone has a purpose from God. And God is calling us to them just as surely as as Peter was called to Cornelius, we're called to go and to love and to care for those that aren't like us. You see, God's saints, they don't look like us. Let us pray. Lord, forgive us. Forgive us in our well-intentioned ways, our, in too many ways, our self-righteousness. Forgive us for separating ourselves from other people assuming that they're just not worthy of your, your grace. Help us, Lord, to see your vision, your vision for the world and for our lives. Help us to go to the Corneliuses in our lives and reach out to them in love. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.